I would love to see a, an Easter action movie. It's like, oh my god, oh wait, it's just kids looking for Easter eggs. We're okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. All sales are final. You know what you guys are? Nothing but a bunch of sleazy con men in red suits. What did you call us? You have me, right? Con men, thieves, degenerates, lowlifes, thugs, criminals. The North Pole, them are fighting words, partner. Put them up. Relax, buddy. Not about to hit a Santa Claus. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Style Guide with your hosts, Dave Morris and Stephen Orr. Today we're going to talk about a dying art, the Christmas action movie. How you doing today, Dave? I am so excited. <laughs> I am jingle bell rocking. No, no, we can't immediately start with Christmas puns. Okay, you can cut that one. No, we're, we're going to keep it. it. Okay, I promise. Snow more Christmas puns. I have to quit the podcast. <laughs> okay. Uh, Christmas action movies is what we're talking about, which I am, honestly, all puns aside and Christmas jokes, very excited to talk about. Because uh, I, one, love action movies, and two, who doesn't love Christmas? Well, people who don't celebrate it. That's true. I guess there's a lot of people that don't love Christmas. Okay, I take it back. But... I enjoy Christmas action movies because I think it is the best kind of movie to watch during Christmas. It is, and it's a surprisingly broad genre. It Or it's not broad, but there are more movies that are Christmas action movies than you would think. Yeah, well, initially you would think. Uh, and um, and I guess, like, you know, a lot of that is due to uh, one very well-known Christmas action movie director. Shane Black. Good old Shane Black, uh, which is funny. I was talking to someone about this podcast we're going to record about Christmas action movies, and they brought up Shane Black. And I was like, what? <laughs> someone else knows who Shane Black is? Like, I'm not the only one out there? That is amazing. Oh, he, he was a big deal in the 90s. And still is, but bigger deal in the 90s. Really, though? But didn't he direct Iron Man 3? He, he did. He directed and uh, wrote parts of it, I think. But... What what I mean is he he was a bigger deal in the '90s doing more films I think, and was well known, insofar as we know writers. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, because he yeah I guess his biggest movies were all written back then like Lethal Weapon and uh, what else did he do? He did all of them. He did every Christmas action movie you've ever seen. Pretty much, pretty much, and he did uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang in two thousand five. He did the Last Boy Scout as well, also a Christmas action movie. Yeah, although tenuous Christmas in that one, it just happens to take place over three days of Christmas. And he also wrote the Long Kiss Goodnight, but I don't think he directed. No, it. I think he got in direct into directing later on in his career. And yeah. Iron Man three, huge, huge hit. Huge hit, yeah. Well, good, fl good flick. Good movie. <laughs> not, not, not his best work. <laughs> okay, anyway, so Shane Black and Christmas action movies is really what we're going to be talking about. Uh, so we do need to set the sort of like guidelines here. Like what is a Christmas action movie for people listening to know like, why aren't they talking about, uh, why aren't they talking about It's a Wonderful Life? Uh, <laughs> or Scrooge. So, or Scrooge. Come on, there's some action elements of Scrooge. There's a guy with a gun at the end. Uh, and why aren't we talking about some movies and we're focusing mostly on others? So uh, what do you say, Siva? What are the guidelines? Well, one of the important components of a Christian action, Christian Christmas action movie is that it solidly has to take place during the Christmas season. That doesn't mean Christmas Day, but it does have to be in that general lead up. December. December, yeah, and and late December <laughs> even, you know. <laughs> sure. Well, it could be early December if Christmas decorations are up. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think the main the main the, the part that makes it Christmas is that it needs to be people need to be celebrating Christmas in the film. Uh preparing decorating you need to see christmas trees the christmas is on the horizon it's it's uh, it's it's not only present but it's kind of a theme in the film as well certainly yeah it can't just be a couple occasional references to christmas it, it we do need to see even some elements of christmas being used in the film whether that's you know the christmas tree is going to be a weapon or it's going to be uh you know involving a mall santa in some way yeah or uh, or now I have a machine gun, ho, 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 right? It needs to be used somehow where they dress someone up like Santa or there's a sled or there's it's snowing out and that is a part of the plot. There's some reason Christmas is a, a factor. Yeah. Also, in a Christmas action movie, there needs to be a fairly large degree of action. Which Yes, of course, yeah. Which seems silly, but... I mean, that's that's how we're going to get away from It's a Wonderful Life or the Muppet Christmas Carol, for example. Yeah, pretty good action, but not enough action to quite make it an action movie. Uh, yeah, and I think action needs to come before uh, any other sort of genre that it may also fall into, right? Like uh, like comedy action or um, or horror action movies. You know, action needs to be the first sort of genre of it. So like something like Home Alone, even though it has that action sequence at the end, it's more a comedy family feel good movie with this sort of violent action at the end. Uh and same with a film like uh Gremlins. Like like Gremlins, right? Gremlins is and Gremlins I might say I'm kind of on the fence with because the, it's it's not quite a horror movie, you know, but it is kind of like a thriller. Yeah. But there isn't really much action in it, you know. Like the there's no like action sequences that I can think of. Yeah, I can't. I can't particularly think of any either. At the same time, something like Jingle All the Way does straddle the comedy actions genre. But I would probably call that a comedy movie before I called it a an action movie. Jingle All the Way, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and I think part of this too is that. The difference between Jingle All the Way, Home Alone, and something like Lethal Weapon or Die Hard is the intended audience. The intended audience skews older. For something like... For a Christmas action movie, yeah. Yes, okay, good. Yeah, I thought Jingle All the Way goes older? I don't understand what you're saying. No, it's definitely Um, a kid's movie. Yeah, um, yeah, so uh, the the intent is that it's an action film, and we're going to go through a a romp of, of, uh, of shooting and fighting and punching and kicking. And swearing. And swearing, they'll be at maybe PG thirteen, probably rated R. Uh, the good ones, anyway, rated R. Uh, lethal, um, lethal weapon opens with breasts. It does, it does, and someone jumping out of a building—it's pretty intense opening. It's true, uh-huh. it's true. Okay, cool. So, so it's got to have those two elements. Yeah. So things that fall into those two elements that I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot are films like Lethal Weapon, uh, Die Hard, of course, of course. Die Hard Two. Uh, what else we got there? We got uh, we got Enemy of the State, starring Will Smith. Good old Will Smith. We've got like the long kiss goodnight. We have uh, keep it going, keep it going. We have uh, the last Boy Scout. Yep, the last Boy Scout. We have Reindeer Games. Oh, yeah, good old Reindeer Games. Yeah. Ben Affleck. Yeah. Probably won't talk about that much. And then uh, one of the last in kind of the era of Christmas action movies, uh, Behind Enemy Lines in 2001. Oh, yeah, good old. Good, yeah, true, true. We're also forgetting one of my favorites Batman Returns. <laughs> it, it doesn't have enough of a Christmas theme. Uh, are you kidding me? The whole thing is during Christmas. <laughs> it's 
great. <laughs> One of the biggest like plot points is when Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Michael Keaton are like spending Christmas together because it's like Eve alone for the holidays, you know. And she like goes over <laughs> to his house and then they see the battle scars that they all have, you know. And there's a big Christmas party for Max Shrek, you know. There's lots of Christmas. Okay, fine. I will give you Batman Returns. You better because it's awesome. <laughs> but but that's the thing. There's only about a 15-year period where the Christmas action movie tended to occur. You know, mm-hmm. starting uh, with Lethal Weapon, really, and working its way towards behind enemy lines-ish in 2001. Beyond that, we don't see much that we would call a Christmas action movie. That's true. They did They did die out. Their Their time came and went. And and that's sad. They've been they've been somewhat replaced with, uh, as we talked about months ago, trilogies, where trilogies are the Christmas movie now that we go and see. We go see the latest Hobbit movie or Lord of the Rings or Hunger Games instead of going and seeing an awesome Christmas action movie. That is true. Uh, so in our Christmas action movie timeline here, what was the what was the last one you said that was that was popular? I would say Behind Enemy Lines would would mark the end. Of it. And that was in like 2000. 2001, yeah. 2001, cool. Yeah, it was a yeah. pre 9 11 film. Oh, great. I'm glad we, uh, I'm glad that's how we're keeping time now uh-huh. um, <laughs> for movies. Cool. So, uh, yeah, I don't know why it is that action movies have gotten rid of the Christmas theme. And maybe it is just that we've gone more into, uh, and we talked about this as many times on podcasts already now, the sequels and trilogies idea of always everything's building about building franchises now so in christmas season is becoming like yeah riddled with franchises that are that are winning and christmas action movies unless you just keep making die hard which they have done or (laughs) try and make another lethal weapon which they have done uh but they've left the christmas christmas left those franchises a long time ago yeah and i think part of it has to do and i mean joking joking aside i think part of it has to do with a different sentimentality in in contempt the contemporary era where we've moved away from the kinds of heroes that lived in action movies i mean there there was something really intensely conservative about an action movie hero during christmas it you know it was a very right-wing virtue pull yourself up by your bootstraps do it yourself hero yeah. Um very all American, you know, it's it's not uncommon for them to be drinking a Coca-Cola or driving a Ford or to be called cowboy. That's that's the other thing. Like this is the yeah. the modern cowboy is the action hero and they're they're mostly dying off. Yeah, and you know, I think it has a lot to do with uh like I would say the the reason uh, the shift has been toward more of superhero stories and not just literal superheroes, but as in uh, extraordinary people uh, are the people we're following in our stories, people that get chosen and have some special gift or special power. And we're moving away from just this average person that gets stuck in a horrible, in an extraordinary situation, right? The whole dude with a problem versus superhero story structures. Because all the Christmas action movies I, I'm thinking of right now are mostly dude with a problem. Yeah. Like Die Hard and stuff like that, where it's like it's just a guy and he gets stuck in this horrible situation and he has to deal with it. And Christmas really plays well in that situation because it makes them seem like even more of an ordinary person and make this and and uh, and as as opposed to nowadays with superheroes, it's like yeah, we don't need to do it during Christmas. We're gonna do it during like the Fourth of July or something. Yeah, yeah, and I think part of that too, Christmas amplifies that that loneliness, that separation from family. 
that that we see in the main characters like Die Hard's a great example of he's a character who is separated from his wife and they're on the verge of a divorce and at the same time he's separated from her uh, by these terrorists and he can't save her and 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 it's the whole plot of the movie revolves around his his loneliness in in this very isolating setting and mm-hmm. we don't really have that as a as a core theme of uh, cinema these days we've we've moved towards different kinds of stories the lonely hero is is disappearing yeah i i could i could agree with that and i think uh that might be why iron man 3 goes back to that christmas themed action film idea because it is tony stark suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome uh, so he is isolated and lonely uh and that because of the events of the avengers so it actually fits really well in with that theme of Christmas. Yeah, yeah, his his weakness. And that's why when we move to the later Die Hard movies, for example, we move away from Christmas. I mean, for one, be, because it's been done before, but for two, because his his break from his family is already complete. He's He's no longer a lonely husband or a lonely father. He's now just a grumpy old man. Yeah. And so we don't need to replicate the the feelings around the holidays of... Oh, family. Oh, uh, you know, all the all the stress of the holidays, because it's it's no longer necessary for the character's development for us to associate with that that feeling. Yeah. And he slowly starts becoming less and less of just a dude to the problem in that and becomes more of a superhero as those as that series goes on. Very, very much so. Yeah, he he starts to do incredible things and seek out the the problems instead of just merely being placed in a situation where bad stuff happens yeah and you know i just just had a uh, uh brain strike here did rambo happen during christmas rambo did happen the, during... no sorry first blood, first blood. First yeah blood. yeah yeah it was that is another christmas movie that it's not they don't really use the christmas theme but it is in december i think is the whole thing is set yeah i don't i haven't seen it recently enough to to say whether it's a solid Christmas action movie, but it does take place during that Christmas season. Well, I got a new movie I got to watch this Christmas season. I'm going to watch from Rambo. Normally, I just watch Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, Gremlins. Gremlins is an action. All right, I got it. Um, so uh, here's here's the other thing. So we're, we're, we're kind of talking about this now, like what makes Christmas such a great mix with action films and, uh, and how like the whole Lonely Hero storyline has, has died out, and that's why we've stopped. Uh, but what else about Christmas and action goes really well together? Like what is it that we... we uh, we love about those things hum i mean i think i like i would start by saying the the one most obvious thing to me that christmas and action movies fit is the juxtaposition of it of taking such a happy loving jolly holiday and mixing it with violence death and blood and that juxtaposition gives you the ability to do lots of really really great things cinematically like uh i'm thinking of uh <clears throat> you know, like an action sequence shot with a Christmas carol playing over top of it. Or um, now I have a machine gun, ho, 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 as the, the wonderful, beautiful irony of that statement. Uh, and that like that, that uh, complete contrast really heightens both of them even more. Yeah, or in Batman Returns, how uh, I believe the penguins minions jump out of presents, right? Yes, and he sends presents to all the firstborn of Gotham. Yeah, and 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 that juxtaposition is for one, it's jarring, but for two, it it makes their villainry even worse because it ruins this ideal family time. Um, and e- even though 
as we see in the backstory of a lot of these, those ideal families are really only ever a fantasy, but it, it ruins the fantasy. So not only are these these bad guys killing, maiming, and stealing, but they're doing it in in such a way that ruins such a core family institution. Mm. True, yeah. Yeah, like, for, like we're never going to see uh, a Jesse James or a John Dillinger story happen during Christmas because those kinds of villains, quote-unquote, they're, they're, they're still good people at their heart. They're not going to ruin someone's holiday. Yeah, <laughs> but but that's the thing. Like their their interest is in in opposing the man or the government. It's not in wanton destruction. Whereas the villains in Die Hard or the villains in The Long Kiss Goodnight are happy to kill innocent people uh, during the holidays. They're happy to ruin families, which makes them even worse. Which makes them even worse. Yeah. So setting so setting an action movie during Christmas, you can make your bad guys look worse. Uh, and you can make your action look even more violent. Uh, and at the same time, you can make your, your Christmas seem even almost more sweet because you've just been through this incredible hardship together. <laughs> and now you get to kiss at the end of it under a mistletoe, you know? Yeah. Yeah, which is the other thing I love. About, here, here's the other thing I love about Christmas action movies is all of the kind of like Christmassy tropes uh, that you can put in there, like kissing under a mistletoe or... Christmas carolers, you know, having carolers going door to door is like a wonderful mechanic you can use when the bad guy's coming. And it turns out it's just a Christmas caroler, you know, like uh, like those kind of tropes. Uh, snow, just the whole idea of having uh, sequences in snow where you have to run and it's slippery and it's harder to drive. Or blood on snow, how it like looks so red against the white. Like uh, those kind of like Christmas tropes really help you uh, set the, set the mood. Yeah, and that's another reason why Christmas uniquely works as a holiday here. You couldn't replicate that during Easter, and you couldn't replicate that during <laughs> Thanksgiving in the same sort of way. <laughs> I would love to see a, an Easter action movie. It's like, oh my god, oh, wait, it's just kids looking for Easter eggs. We're okay. Don't worry about it. See, and, yeah. and that's the thing. Like, part of me wishes that's the route they had gone with Die Hard. Like, they had, they had chosen to take the ridiculous element in that direction instead of turning it into an action franchise. Turn it into a holiday franchise. Every yeah. action is it's a different holiday. Yeah. Like, just, just to see if they could do it. But I'm, I'm guessing people have thought of this idea and an Easter, I mean, Imagine an Easter action movie. There would be a lot of people up in arms. <laughs> I don't know. I guess. I mean, that is when G Jesus died or something, right? I don't know. Yeah, it's um, probably not the best. So, And maybe that's why we don't do Easter, because Easter is when Jesus died and Christmas is when Jesus was born. So having it birth with death is better than death with death. Too much. Double death. Too much death. Double death. Yeah, and I think uh, the other thing I love about Christmas action movies that you wouldn't be able to do in Easter is say Merry Christmas. You can't. You don't say Merry Easter. You're, you say, I guess, you say Happy Easter to people, but yeah. not not in the same way. Like it's not like three weeks where everyone's saying Merry Christmas to each other, and like coffee shops are all playing Christmas carols. It's just, uh, it's just so like the idea of having the bad guy say Merry Christmas before he like locks them in a freezer or something like that. Uh, like <laughs> that's just a wonderful, well, great, what a great phrase that you can say, and the irony of it is beautiful too. And I think I think we see something similar in Halloween movies, where Halloween naturally tr trends towards horror and and thriller, certainly. So we don't see a lot of Halloween action movies, but it has that same sort of sentiment where you can take the tropes of Halloween 
and really apply them to the genre. Oh, yeah. Christmas, Christmas, it seems, really ties to the action movie genre with the with family, uh, with togetherness, but also mm -hmm. with the loneliness and snow and the difficulty of of trying to do anything in winter and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and how happy Christmas is supposed to be, but how sad it actually is uh, to lots of people. So yeah, so but Halloween, you're right, does tend towards thrillers because that idea of masks and hiding and uh, and tricks and treats, like it's all very secretive. So it really is nice to go for thrillers with Halloween, uh, which is why it's funny that Gremlins happen during Christmas. It is, yeah. That was that seems to be an interesting choice. And kind of makes it a bit of a comedy, which it, it is if you watch it. There's a lot of funny bits in it. It's this cute little guy called, creature called Gizmo. Like, I don't even know if it's a horror movie. It's kind of just comedy. The bad guys are so bad. They're like, I'm a gremlin. It's like, that's so bad. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the sequel ended up being a heart, a harder comedy, right? Like it. Oh, the sequel was almost exclusively a comedy. Yeah. They were in a mall and they had like talking gremlins and sexy gremlins and flying gremlins. Like it was just like, <laughs> they were like, what kind of, it's like they took gremlins and mixed it with like Pokemon or something. I don't know. Yeah. So the Christmas tropes uh, and like the other Christmas tropes that I think are really great. Uh, my, my, I mean, Christmas carols. Just the idea of being able to play all this like copyright free music throughout the whole movie. Uh, like just all these wonderful Christmas carols that everyone knows. You walk into a store, you can have it playing on the stereo. Like it, it's it it just gives it its nice soundtrack. But that is kind of jolly. Yeah, although the that was the thing that I think I enjoyed. I think it was Die Hard that I was rewatching, where I enjoyed the Christmas carols, but with a a contemporary take on them. Oh yeah, because there's like hip hop Christmas Carol, wasn't yeah. there? Wasn't there a rap in the in the credits as a rap song? Yeah, and and so it allows you know you to do that sort of twist on something that everyone knows. Like you you recognize Christmas lyrics immediately, even if they're it's a new song. Like it, a Christmas lyric is is pretty. I mean, they're going to talk about snow. They're going to talk about presents and fire and mistletoe and that sort of stuff. And so when you hear them in a song, even if it's a song that's a, a strange genre for a Christmas Carol. You recognize it as Christmassy, and it and it has that sort of f fun flavor to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So the other tropes of Christmas that can be used in uh, Christmas action movies. Well, one. I mean, one of the things we've already talked about, but I mean, needs to be reinforced is family. Family is a vital component of pretty much every single Christmas action movie. Uh, definitely. And uh, family and togetherness. Yeah. So like being with your family. Yeah. Uh, so like um, uh, the long kiss goodnight, even though she is away from her daughter the whole time, the sort of theme of that movie is about being with her daughter and being with her family, even though she's away from her family. And that's kind of the, the tension there. So, yeah, definitely. And Die Hard as well. You know, him and his wife, they're estranged from each other. And he's it's about trying to be together with the family again and get the family back together. Yeah, even behind enemy lines, which takes place in I think some anonymous uh, European Eastern European country, there there's the connection to home where he phones home and he talks to his dad, and it's uh, we're supposed to have that that reinforced family quality there that he's going to be broken away from shortly. Mm -hmm. And even when you look at Batman Returns, it's about uh, lack of family. And uh, the penguin trying to find his family and he's taking Aww. the firstborn sons of Gotham, you know, like it's all about family and, and sons and, uh, and I think family and uh, 
most often children as well, family and relationships with children. I know uh, Die Hard is sort of a little weird on that because it's mostly about him and Holly, but their kids are involved and it's about, you know, getting back together with his kids. But yeah, with children, I think is a huge, uh, not a huge, but it is like one of the parts of the family element that make action Christmas movies even better. Like, so we look at the Lethal Weapon. It's Murtaugh's kids that when they get kidnapped that it's finally like, all right, act three. Uh, we're going to go get my effing daughter back and we're going to shoot him and we shoot to kill. Kill them all. Kill them all, Ron. You know, like it's all about like once the family is is taken and the kids are involved, it becomes much more serious. Same with the long kiss goodnight. Once her daughter is involved in the kidnapping, then she like learns to marry her two identities, so to speak, for for that for lack of a better word for that film. And well, and in the long kiss goodnight too, like that Samuel L. Jackson's character is the arc for his character is about finding a way to redeem himself to his estranged family. family. Yeah, and it's all about doing it all for his family. There's got you know, you gotta do one thing right. You know, that whole arc of, of him trying to have his wife not hate him. Yeah. Uh so that he can spend time with his son. And uh yeah, so like and, and Iron Man three, like Iron Man three, the, the Christmas theme really comes more into play when he's with the kid in in the in that small town, you know? And and so like they're the the child the, having a child uh as part of the story is almost I, I would say it was as necessary. Yeah, I think so. And that's, I mean, one of the reasons why you could point to something like Behind Enemy Lines and why it doesn't work so much as a film, because they get the idea that family should be important, but he doesn't actually have a family. He, he doesn't have a partner. Uh, he, he, he doesn't have children. And he's so disconnected from all of that that all he has is surrogate father, Gene Hackman. And it, it, it doesn't work in, in that same sort of sense as opposed to Lethal Weapon, where the kids drive the the characters to action same as the last boy scout right like that's that's about a family that is has been shattered apart at the beginning of the movie i think his wife is cheating on him just to get his attention and yeah. he and he ignores her and he's not really interested in his family at all until the end of the movie where all of that is resolved with their children or just their one kid but anyway the the, the point being that you know that that whole family unit needs to be uh, resolved by the end of it. And that's why Iron Man 3 works really well as an action Christmas movie, even though he doesn't have kids because he has that surrogate ch- child. Yeah, that's good. It's perfect, perfect uh, example. Uh, but, and it's also, well, there's also, it's the, um, uh, him and, uh, and what's her name? Pepper. Pepper Potts. Pepper Potts. Yeah, but but that's the thing. Without without a child in that story, that I think that story ends up being that much weaker. Yeah, definitely. It was already pretty weak. <laughs> well, yeah, and and that's what's interesting about Die Hard is that it succeeds despite the 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 child element being super strong. But at the same time, we do see them, and and when we do see them, there is that very important moment where they're talking to the reporter, and then the realization that. Holly is John McClane's wife. Yeah, it is. It is the moment that leads uh, Hans Gruber to action, and he takes her. Hans Gruber. A, Hans Gruber. What a great villain! Does the name Gruber mean anything to you? Um, that's from Die Hard Three, uh, <laughs> Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, and you know the other thing that, and, and I'm, I'm keep jump coming back to this because I do think it's the most beautiful part of Christmas action movies is that juxtaposition and that. Like, uh, I'm just thinking of that moment in Die Hard when the safe finally opens. 
Yeah. And the feds are outside and they're like, haha, watch them sweat. And they turn off the power to the building and they're all thinking they're doing great. And then this like kind of music comes on and it's like the safe opens and they're like, Merry Christmas. And they're like looking at all this money while they're robbing a bank. Like that kind of having fun with that element of it is is just perfect. Yeah, it 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 is a great sort of opportunity to play with joy in different ways or or juxtapose joy with terror and 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 it's a lot of fun but something that you you said there you're talking about the fbi in die hard reminds me of in pretty much all these movies i've been watching the the difference between individuals so john mcclain as the cop or sergeant powell is that his name the yeah 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 powell Um, Powell. Yeah. yeah or uh gina davis in the long kiss goodnight or the uh, Riggs and Murtaugh in Lethal Weapon. Individual police officers or individuals can be fantastic. They can be heroes. But cops as an organization, FBI as an organization, the government as an organization is almost always incompetent mm. and actually getting in the way of the heroes doing their job. Hmm. Like that, which, which surprised me how heavy that was. In, in Die Hard, basically, if... If the FBI and the cops had never shown up, that, I mean, John McClane would have ended up saving the day himself because he would have had to. Um, yeah. Same same thing in Lethal Weapon. Cops as an organization don't do anything in that movie. Mm-hmm. And in fact, at the one point where you'd think that they would call on them when the daughter's kidnapped, they just go off and do it themselves. Yeah, and they do it themselves. Exactly. Um, that's Now, I wonder, now here's, here's, here's my question. Is that a trope of Christmas action movies, or is that just a trope of action movies? Because I'm I'm thinking, in like other action movies, I think that also exists. That the hero is competent, but the rest of the force is not, or the rest of the the, the organizations are not, and that's what makes it such a great action film. Is because you're watching the one hero. Well, I think part of this is why I I more and more think about Christmas action movies as this very Republican fantasy, this all-American fantasy. <laughs> well, because it points to sorry, I'm sorry. it's just an awesome phrase of Republican fantasy. But but that's the thing. It's it's this individual who is able to succeed not only despite the enemy, but despite the interference of government of cavalry and. <laughs> And it sounds ridiculous, but you look at other action movies, you look at something like Independence Day. Independence Day is all about government coming together in order to allow the heroes to succeed. Even the later Die Hard movies, you look at Die Hard's 4 and 5, it's very much uh, an action movie following a single hero, yes. But, I mean, in Live Free or Die Hard, he relies on his uh, on the the hacker coming together with government to help him achieve his goals. They become more rooted in in this broader team that you don't see in in these earlier Christmas action movies. So yeah, it's true. I don't I'm, I'm trying to think of how to disprove this, but um cuz I'm thinking Die Hard, yes. Die Hard 2, the force that he's supposedly working with are actually turn out to be bad guys. So Yes, you're right. Uh, when it comes to Die Hard with a Vengeance, the third one, which doesn't happen during Christmas, he is working with the police uh, in that, and they are helping him because he they've like come to pick him up, and he's like a reluctant hero in that one. Yeah, and they make him do all this stuff, but they're not necessarily incompetent in any way. They're totally competent, and they're helping as much as they can. Yeah, 
Wow. I mean, I think about something like the Bourne movies where he's he's not relying on, but that's that's a different sort of genre altogether where, um, I mean, he couldn't possibly rely on cops and that sort of thing. Yeah, they were trying to kill him. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you look at something like Mission Impossible where, okay, maybe that's more of an example where, but again, we're talking about betrayals and that sort of stuff, so it doesn't tie in. Yeah, those are spy movies. and spy movies, there's much more betrayal and stuff like that. That is a, a very interesting point that about how it's, it's a one man against everything uh, or one woman against everything. Or one or two, as is the case with Lethal Weapon, which is able to kind of divide the hero into two characters, the family man and the crazy man. Yeah, because Lethal Weapon 2, they do work more with other cops and stuff like that, and the other cops all get killed. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't happen during Christmas. Diplomatic immunity. Uh. <laughs> but so, so that's that was an interesting thing to kind of realize as I was watching it, in that it really take, celebrates this cowboy mentality that... Now, do you think, because not every action movie has this, now, do you think that the Christmas being mixed in with action is what is turning it into this Republican fantasy? And if so, how is Christmas turning it into a Republican fantasy? I think it has to do with family. And and I think it has to do with there being this, this vision of what we want a hero to look like. And we want them to be a family man or a woman which means, you know, having a partner and having having children, that that's an important component of it. It's this ability to to against all odds, you as an individual overcoming an incredible situation. It's I mean, Die Hard is is an example of one man put in an impossible situation who is able to overcome despite everything that's thrown at him despite all the interference from the FBI and, and the cops mm-hmm. below, he's, he is able to succeed and thrive because of how great he is. And how much he loves his family and how much he wants his family back. Like the movie starts with him going to L.A. to try to fix things with his wife. Exactly. Like that's the whole premise is trying to get his family back together, fighting against divorce. Yeah, and it's that love of his family that allows him to succeed. If Holly wasn't there in uh, in Nakatomi Towers, it would be interesting to see what motivated his character to act. Exactly. Yeah, he's trying to save his wife. Yeah. That's very fascinating. So action movies are about, um, it, of course, action and fighting. But it's a fight against something evil. So it's like sort of the good versus evil, the the battle one man against many or one person against many. Uh, And Christmas movies are about family and they're about coming together and they're about caring for each other. Uh, And so when we blend those two together, we end up with someone fighting against many for their family, which is uh, very Republican. I see what you mean now. It's very like my family is the most important thing to me. Uh, You know, don't attack my family. uh, which is uh, which is crazy. That's that's a like wow. I'm shocked. Yeah, I'm shocked that I've been enjoying Republican fantasies all this time. Well, and but that also points to why. I mean, in uh, the long kiss goodnight, they can casually talk about how they're going to blame it on the Muslims, right? It it's they're they're allowed to to make these sort of racial. Well, and that's the other thing. We we see villains who are who are uh, racialized or ethnic or or other languages very, very strongly in a lot of these movies because 
that other is is a bad person because they're not they're not the American, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, the reason we're talking about Christmas action movies is because uh, Paper Street Theater for our Christmas uh, for our season this year for our Christmas movie we're doing a Christmas action movie uh, that we're calling Lethal Christmas. Uh, so uh, I think we need to talk about a little like what are what are the stylistic elements of a Christmas action movie that when we're improvising we can take and uh, color in improvisation with. Yeah, the the I'm, you oh, like the, uh, oh no you go you go. Well, I was just going to say the in, the the interesting thing that I've been and this is probably more an action movie thing in general, but uh, watching them I've been uh, surprised at how much improvisation happens with the characters uh, with within the within the confines of the situation like they 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 are they have to be very creative about their use of uh what they have around them in in such a way and and use it in new and interesting sorts of of ways and so a gun isn't just a weapon of killing a gun is also a tool that allows you to maybe break down windows or allows you to rappel down an elevator shaft yeah by like hanging yeah totally they have to be improvisers themselves which is kind of cool yeah and I think that is an action movie kind of trope. Like uh, anytime it's a due to the problem kind of storyline, it is definitely uh, MacGyver style. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, when I think uh, what are the things that we need to take to make sure when we're improvising, we're hitting something that feels or tastes like a Christmas action movie. And I mean, the most obvious one is it has to be Christmassy. So you have to have those themes of family and you have to have uh, Christmas music and you have to have uh, Christmas elements like tree decorating, uh, scenes about tree, like that start with tree decorating or uh, Christmas parties or Christmas shopping, like in uh, Enemy of the State. You know, like that the Christmas has to be one of the, the scenes and the settings take place during that Christmas holiday season. Certainly, that's probably the most important part of it. And then, then what you need to do, I guess, is figure out the i mean the the villainry in in a christmas christmas action movie always has weird double crosses or not double crosses but um they're they're never doing what they think they're doing or what they say they're doing at the very beginning like die hard is you know they're they're pretending to be terrorists but they're actually robbing it lethal weapon which starts off where they're investigating uh, an apparent suicide and it turns out to be a heroin smuggling ring from vietnam Mm-hmm. Uh, in uh, the uh, the Gina Davis one, what was it called again? I already forgot. Long the Long Kiss Goodnight. Uh, she thinks she's investigating who she is and where she came from and why these people are trying to kill her, and it turns out to be this crazy terrorist plot to destroy Niagara Falls. Behind Enemy Lines is about some Navy pilots who are just uh, enforcing a, a truce when it turns out, no, there's some sort of complex genocide secretly going on. So yeah. it, it's it's the the villain is what they're doing isn't as straightforward as it appears to be. And but it can be a huge variety of things. Yeah, there's an infinite possibility of what bad guys are trying to do. Uh, well, maybe not infinite, but a lot where usually killing or stealing or something like that. Oh, yeah. Like Die Hard, even like the terrorists have taken over a building and they're asking to get all these people released from prison. But really, it's just a robbery. Yeah. Which tends to be a theme in every Die Hard movie now. It's like, oh, it seems like it's about revenge or some like powerful political move, but really it's a robbery. They're just robbing things. <laughs> That's all they ever do. Bad guys in Die Hard world just rob. 
See, and that that's another way they could have gone. They could have they could have faked a different crime every time. So, you know, it could be that they're uh they're they're faking a uh a car heist, but it turns out no, they're actually, you know, ripping off Fort Knox. That would have isn't been a that, funner way to do it. Isn't that what all of them are about? <laughs> you just you just described the plot for Die Hard with a Vengeance. It looks like he is just trying to mess with John McClane out of revenge, uh, but it's actually he's robbing Fort Knox, and right. it is Fort Knox that they are robbing. You're right. I'd completely <laughs> forgotten. That's ridiculous. Uh, so the plot thickening element of it, yeah, and that might be more of an action movie thing in general, but it's definitely a Christmas action movie thing. So we got to make sure it happens during Christmas with scenarios that are taking place during Christmas. We have to make sure there's uh, the plot thickens or twists in a way that we are expecting it at some point through the film. And th- that's one of the things we haven't talked about a ton is the villain. Is the villain, for example, in Die Hard gets almost as much screen time as John McClane. Very important part of the film is Hans Gruber. Yeah, yeah Long Kiss Goodnight, very similar sort of thing. Behind Enemy Lines, probably a third of the screen time, but still a considerable amount of screen time is dedicated to the villain. So we're not just mm-hmm. following the hero we're also following the the genius who's running things. Yeah, Enemy of the State, same thing. You see a lot of the villain. Yeah, and I think part mm-hmm. of that has to do with how difficult it is to follow a single character. Because, I mean, in Die Hard or, or even Lethal Weapon or The Long Kiss Goodnight, you can get away with it because they're crazy, right? So, yeah. the, so they talk to themselves or they see visions of themselves in mirrors. But... Too much of that makes the character just a crazy person, so we have to juxtapose it by showing how bad the villain is. Yeah, and Lethal Weapon, they do the same thing. We keep seeing these like crazy military soldiers, uh, like we follow their story just as much as we follow Riggs and Murtaugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that's going to have to be played with in Lethal Christmas is giving the villain sufficient screen time or stage time that we can see them developed as a character. Yeah, and slowly watches their plot unfurls as well. Like, what are they trying to do? Because uh, I think we, we find out it's a robbery well before John McClane finds out it's a robbery. Yeah, almost immediately, I think. And we know they're going to blow the roof before John McClane knows they're going to blow the roof, right? Uh, so, like, there's a lot of, like, uh, that dramatic irony where we know more about what's going on in the bad guy's mind than the hero does. And that sets up some some wonderful tension in those moments where the hero is doing it. And we're like, no, that's the wrong thing. Watch out. They're going to blow the roof. But that's, that's again, another thing around this Christmas action movie is that the hero usually knows when things are bad, when the cops are going to do something stupid or when the FBI is going to do something stupid, but they can't stop the cops. Mm -hmm. They can't stop the FBI from landing on the roof, but they're going to try because they're the hero. Exactly. Um, Cool. So yeah, Christmas, we need to have the action movie sort of story plot line of, of twists and turns, but still keep those Christmas themes. Uh, and to me, there's got to be that intersection where the two cross over, where we see things that are Christmas and things that are action happening together. Like we need to have bad guys shooting guns at a Christmas party, or we need to have uh, the Christmas, like like a, the plot needs to be influenced by Christmas. And this is that like... Um, uh, the reason no one's in Nakatomi Tower is because it's a Christmas party and everyone else is home for the holidays, right? Uh, so it's an empty building because it's Christmas. That's the reason they can rob it. Uh, Enemy of the State, the reason it, the whole movie starts is because this guy he bumps into while Christmas shopping slips the secret, you know, pictures, the, the MacGuffin in his, in his uh, 
uh, Christmas shopping bag. Uh, and that's why his the, he ends up taking it home and not noticing it because it's in with his Christmas presents. So like the, the Christmas ideas and Christmas themes need to intersect with the plot somehow. Similarly, behind enemy lines, the whole reason that the hero is out on a flight is because he's being punished on Christmas Day for something he did prior. And his punishment is he loses Christmas. And so yeah. Christmas becomes this essential part of the story as opposed to just a backdrop. Yeah, and if they and, and that I think is the part where we find movies like uh like Batman Returns where you're like, "Ah, it's not really that Christmassy because the Christmas doesn't quite intersect with the plot uh in a meaningful way." You know, like there is a Christmas party of the Max Shrek Christmas fundraiser for orphans or whatever it's called. <laughs> uh and things are decorated for Christmas uh and and that and it's painted with Christmas, but it doesn't have like uh, where the plot and Christmas intersect. And same with even Iron Man 3, I would say. I don't know where the Christmas intersects with the plot too much uh, and why that had to take place during Christmas holiday season. Uh, they had references to it. It was snow on the ground. There was the themes of family and loneliness that all come with Christmas. But the plot intersection, I don't can't remember a moment in Iron Man 3 where it's essential that Christmas is involved. Yeah, like that could have just been in the winter, even. Yeah, it could have just been Valentine's Day. Who who knows? Like, um, yeah. Uh, so so I feel like the stronger Christmas action movies are where Christmas and action tie together really lovely. Uh, in in moments where it's it's a uh, now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it is an important part of what happens. I mean, the, John McClane is able to tape a uh, gun to his back because of Christmas tape. Like it's, Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, that could have been just regular duct tape, sure, but it's this idea that the Christmas is going to continue to show up in it. At the end of The Long Kiss Goodnight, Gina Davis, you know, repels down a set of Christmas lights and, <laughs> and, she sa- and shouts, you know, you did die screaming. Like, just... That you, I remember when I was watching it, and you texted me saying, uh, <laughs> "He said uh, the last five, ten minutes of that movie is completely ridiculous." And I was watching it, and I was like, "Okay, it's ridiculous, I guess. Like it's an action movie, and they're shooting, and there's it's gotten out of control, and the plot's gone super crazy." But it wasn't until the moment where she cut the Christmas lights and flew up them as like a dead body, pulled down, uh, <laughs> and started and was shooting a machine gun at a helicopter. But I was like, yeah, okay, this is what you're talking about. This is the moment when you were like, it gets really ridiculous. And it was so ridiculously awesome. And it was awesome. That And, and that's that's the other thing around it. Like you, you are always satisfied with the way that Christmas is able to be twisted in order to further the action of the story. Yeah. And like uh, Lethal Weapon, I think, is another one where the action and Christmas don't perfectly crossover enough uh like because i think you forget that it's a christmas movie part of that's because it takes place in la where there's not so much snow uh but so does die hard but uh but um but the thing with the like lethal weapon does have like you know the beginning when we first meet Riggs in the non-director's cut when we first meet Riggs, he's buying cocaine from a bunch of drug dealers in a Christmas uh, tree, in a lot. Christmas yeah, tree that's lot, right. right? Uh, and they're like, "How would you give me a nice nine footer to punt it under?" So there is like, like Christmas is is intersects with it, and the whole gunfight happens hide people hiding behind Christmas trees and stuff like that. Uh, so that is a that is a big part 
of that setup and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and the and the mm, like like smashing cars into Christmas trees and stuff all happens. So they do intersect a lot, but there's never a moment where you're like where he has to dress up like Santa Claus to go into a shopping mall to kill the bad guy. Like there's no like direct. If Christmas wasn't there, this story wouldn't have been able to happen. Well, except at the same time. So what happens is we have Murtaugh's birthday there, but we also have Christmas. And we see Riggs give Murtaugh at the beginning of, or early in the movie, we see him give him a toy gun and handcuff set as a birthday, a late birthday gift. But mm-hmm. then the end of the movie, the present that he gives him for Christmas is the bullet that he's been saving to take his own life. And so it's, it is that Christmas... I'm giving you this in the spirit of holidays. Yeah, I was just thinking of the ending because that is where it does tie in pretty well. And, and and he gives him the bullet or he gives the bullet to the daughter and says, give this to your dad. And then he right. leaves. And she's like, a bullet? And he's like, yeah, he'll, knows what it, he'll, he'll know what it means. And then he starts to leave and then Murtaugh comes running out and he's like, oh, you think I'm going to eat the world's worst Christmas dinner by myself? Because uh, <laughs> one of the jokes is that his wife's a bad cook. Well, <laughs> well the 80s were a different time. Yeah. When the homophobia in that movie surprised me. Yeah, I know. Um, so th- it was a very different time in the 80s, and we can hate it for all those reasons. Um, <laughs> but the idea of Christmas does come up in Lethal Weapon. You're right. It is, it is an essential part of, of a couple of the plot points. And I think that, but I do think that is an, an important element of a Christmas action movie that makes it a better Christmas action movie as opposed to just an action movie. And I, I think part of this ties into just general generally creating a good story but it's in the same way that it's not christmas just for the sake of christmas action scenes aren't just action for the sake of action like we don't we there are there are no action sequences i think at all in lethal weapon or in the first die hard that are just done so that they can do a cool action scene in some way they develop the character or they forward the plot like the uh, my my best example is there's a great shootout midway through Die Hard where he's hiding behind some some desks and and the villain shoots out the glass and from then on John McClane has to walk around on bloodied feet. Yeah, and I I was just thinking about that scene I was, when you were talking about action for the sake of action because uh, the only a- real like huge action sequences I can think of in Die Hard that's one of them is the shooting of the glass and smashing but it's super crucial to the plot. And you see that, and this is in good action movies in general, so it's not just limited, but I think for the purpose of moving this genre to the stage, that's something important to remember, that action is always about either the character realizing something about themselves, the audience realizing something about the character, or moving the plot in some direction. Mm -hmm. Like Lethal Weapon's uh, action sequences or the early ones are all about discovering just how crazy Riggs is. Yeah, and showing that he's suicidal and that yeah. he wants to jump off a building and that he's like he's like telling the guy who has a gun to his head, shoot me, shoot me, shoot me, shoot him, shoot me, shoot me, shoot me. Uh, and it's like he is crazy, and that that's why all those things are there. You know, there's a cut scene from that film, hey, uh, that's in the director's cut, which is why when I, I say when we first meet Riggs, he's buying drugs at a Christmas tree lot, um, which I think is actually... I'm not sure if it because in the in the director's cut, there's two other scenes where we meet Riggs first. One is him in, waking up in his trailer and he's rocking right. and you see his butt. Um, but the other one that was cut is there's like a psycho at a school who's kidnapped all these girls, like like young kids, and he's like got a he's shooting a sniper rifle out of the school. 
Um, and Riggs shows up, and Riggs shows up, and they're like, and they're like, dude, don't go. He's crazy. He's he's got a sniper rifle. And Riggs just like walks into the schoolyard and like just like walks, and the guy's like shooting at him, and he pulls out his gun and he just like shoots the guy down. Uh, and it's him just like walking straight into death. Uh, and it's uh, it's so crazy. <laughs> I know exactly why they cut that. Scene. I can. I know exactly why they cut it as well. But that was like that was the first scene we see Riggs, and then we see him at the Christmas tree lot again later. Like they're just like, let's show how crazy this guy is as much as possible. And but but that's the thing. It's really important for the audience to know that because all of his growth as a character is going to start from that point of crazy. Just like with Murtaugh. We need to see him as the ideal family man so that when he starts to go a little bit crazy, you can understand the change. Yeah, with that really awkward scene where his family bursts into the bathroom while he's having a bath. You know, I never, Super I never, weird. I never registered how weird that was until, like, was it you that said it to me uh, when we were talking about doing this podcast? How weird it is that his family just comes into the bathroom while he's having a bath and, like, that's that's oh, that's fine. That's that's how you sing someone happy birthday. It's I'm, And... And the daughter in that, it, they've over-sexualized her for the movie, certainly. Like, it, like the, the way that she wraps herself around him while he's naked in the bathtub, it's very just very weird. such very a weird. weird scene. Yeah, uh, but speaking of Christmas in action and the, the plot stuff, uh, Die Hard 2 also has a really good, does a good job with that. With the whole idea of it being like, you could see them saying like, okay, Christmas in action, what's the next step? Well, people travel a lot during the Christmas season, so let's do it on airplanes, in, in an airport during the Christmas season when it's crazy busy. Uh, and you see like why hap- that needed to happen at Christmas. It works really well during Christmas or Thanksgiving, I guess. But Yeah, any, any busy holiday, but definitely during the Christmas season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of, one of the other uh, elements of the Christmas action movie, and action movie general, but because of the lone hero quality of Christmas action, um, it's we find a lot of, and this might be just a product of when they're made, but radio and phone communication, so that the hero isn't stuck talking to themselves, so that they have a they have a link to the outside world. Mm-hmm. How important that actually ends up being, like in in Die Hard, that's absolutely necessary. We need to have John McClane able to talk to Sergeant Powell. Oh, Otherwise, yeah. his character has nothing. He's just forced to talk to himself like a crazy person for the whole movie. Yeah, and he can talk to Hans Gruber as well. And they do. They have. That's how the first time they talk is over the radio. Right, right. That, and he doesn't recognize him when he's the cowboy. Uh, he puts on his Texan accent. That's right. <laughs> yeah, he does. Re- he does recognize him. Well, he, I mean, yes, but uh, you he, know, Hans he's tries, he takes the gun, he points it at him, and he's like. Mm, no bullets, Hans. What you think? I'm stupid, right? Yeah. He figures it out. He figures them out. He's smart. Yeah, John McClane's so smart. Well, but he's. I I think he's suspicious. He's rightfully suspicious. I think calling him smart is too much credit. Like, because we when we late get to the later diehards, John McClane is just super smart and knows everything ahead of time. But in that first one, it's not so much intelligence as just suspicion and determination, which get him through that. Yeah, I mean, he just dies hard. He doesn't die. It's hard to kill him. Yeah, I think they would have called that movie Hard to Kill, except Steven Seagal already made that movie. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure hard, hard to Kill came out later. Uh, yeah, so putting putting it on the stage uh, when, and improvising it, I think, is going to be a lot about setting up Christmas, setting up the action movie, and letting them kind of cross over 
at key elements, uh, key points, not the whole time, but key points in the plot. They need to, to cross over to help fuel the other, fuel each other, um, fuel each other's sort of themes and each other's stories. Yeah, so we're, we're never going to have a main character who is a mall Santa. We might have a main character who's a mall cop. Who has to dress up like Santa or Santa gets point, yeah. shot or something in front of him. And that's what his call to action is. Like, like yeah, so he's not – they're not directly – it's not going to be Santa Claus going out shooting people. No. Because the action, the action movie and the Christmas thing are never 100% tied. They're always separate but crossover. Yeah, that's, that's exactly the case. What, one, and the nice thing about setting it up on stage, though, is that you're not going to have to just every scene follow this same character because you can have the villain scenes as well. Yes, and that's an essential part, you're right, of having it cut cut back and forth between the two of them. Yeah, So and, and the other nice thing about it is the villain scenes are going to be so completely different because the villain has henchmen who, who he's able to use in order to develop his character whereas the the hero is largely stuck in themselves yeah or with their partner their one partner or their one partner yeah yeah mm -hmm. that they have to confide in and stuff the other thing you can do is, with this is that there's a lot of use of reporters and news media to forward the action and narrative in different ways yes definitely uh, and I think that might be just a product of how old it, uh, the, the genre is, <laughs> like how it's from the 80s when news and radio was really important. But even now that I think about it, uh, Iron Man 3, the whole thing with the, the man Mandarin uh, and all about being telecommunication and like broadcasting signals and stuff like that is a large part of that movie. And And that's the other thing. Like I think it wouldn't you wouldn't be remiss in saying we're going to set this in the you know the late 80s early 90s as a <laughs> because that's when the christmas movie lives i i really don't think you could make well, i mean you couldn't make die hard 2 today no you couldn't like there that just that wouldn't fly but um but i i I am I I don't think we're going to see christmas action movies make a resurgence in in the era we're in right now i just yeah. don't think they work i think that's a, a, a very astute observation uh and i think like a lot of action movies and you see this is that action movies are suffering from and maybe this is why superhero action movies are becoming so much more prominent is that uh it's really hard to isolate your hero nowadays and yeah. any to any movie that does or attempts to do it is either set in some sort of science fiction fantasy world or, or a fantasy world like 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 a Hobbit or Lord of the Rings kind of thing where it's a different time period. But if it is set in present day, then there needs to be an excuse as to why their cell phone isn't working, uh, why they can't access the internet, why they like why they're isolated. Yeah, uh, and you need to do a lot more justifying than in the '80s where it was like, well, they cut the phone line. That, that's all they had to do. You just had to cut the phone line to the building, and all of a sudden. The hero is now isolated. Like John McClane is only isolated because the phones are down. <laughs> like that's it. Otherwise, he'd call a cop. Yeah. Like that. That that sort of kills that genre. Well, and that's why you see scenes like in The Dark Knight, where at the end he hacks every single cell phone in Gotham, and there's a sense in which that's kind of a real sort of experience like the the cell phone is ubiquitous just like in uh, the avengers 2 when he's trying to track down the hulk he searches social media in in his uh iron man suit yeah. like he's searching through a bunch of social media all at once like, there is a very different sentiment that doesn't allow the hero to be isolated anymore 
Yeah, and that that changes the whole feel of it. So we might actually have to set the set it as a 1980s Christmas action movie uh, or 80s and 90s Christmas action movie. So back before cellular phones were uh, a popular, uh, everyone had them. And if you do have a cellular phone, it's this giant ham radio like thing. Yeah, that like is like a briefcase that's in the trunk of your car, and you have to pull it out, and you have to be on like a high spot so that it works. <laughs> uh, they use one in Lethal Weapon. They do. Yeah, he, he uses it when he's phoning the precinct to the psychiatrist. Yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, yeah, and in uh, the longest goodnight, she has an old school flip phone, uh, oh, yeah. cell phone that she gives her daughter the number of. So it does come up a little bit, but they are much more much rarer that everyone is going to have a cell phone and that communication is going to be infinite like in the avengers nowadays they have like earpieces they all just happen to have an earpiece and they can just talk to each other all the time yeah even yeah even though they're fighting in the middle of the huge battle spread out across an entire city they're still talking to each other just like nothing that that actually reminded me of two two completely different points one of them is the surprisingly the use of sharpies has shown up a, a couple of times in Christmas action movies. Hmm. Okay. Like in uh, in Die Hard, he gets writes a sharpie and arm. he writes in his arm their names and the number of villains, which I just I really enjoyed for some reason. And in the Long Kiss Goodnight, she writes her phone number on her daughter's cast <laughs> with a sharpie. Yeah, with it's... a sharpie, and it's just a weird <laughs> moment for me. But that that goes to something else that I noticed, and I think part of this is again action movies in general, but. The product placement, yeah, s- seems really obvious. Like in, uh, in behind enemy uh, lines, the the hero meets up with this Eastern European guy who's like, "Oh, you're you're thirsty? No, we don't have water. Have a coke." <laughs> and, he, and he sits there and he drinks a coke. And in, in and in Die Hard, there's the big crunch bar. Like it's <laughs> yeah. like the hero drinks coke and smokes Marlboros and probably drives a Ford. Like there is something very American uh, in the way product placement is. I don't and that know. may be that it's a result of the 80s and 90s when product placement was pretty obvious. And nowadays it's just they try to make it more subtle. Yeah. Uh, even though it's still in there like crazy nowadays. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the one thing that I am uh, I, I'm, I'm still struggling with how we're going to make it work super well on stage is the action itself. So like uh, and this is something that I remember like Keith Johnstone from in, 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 talks about it, a uh, guy who wrote Impro, very uh, prominent he, creator of theater sports. Uh, Keith Johnstone said that uh, when you go see theater, like the one thing about going to see a movie is that you'll at least get to see a boat chase once in a while. So in theater, if theater's boring, it's just boring. If a movie is boring and bad, there'll at least be a boat chase, uh, which is exciting because you don't get to see that all the time. So on stage, how are we going to pull off the car chases and the boat chases and these action gun shooting glass breaking scenarios uh, as best as possible? And that's something that I think is going to be the biggest challenge is to make those look awesome. Well, and this is something we've struggled with before on stage where we've tried to do car chases in in our John Hughes stuff. Uh, and when we did Tarantino, figuring out how to do the high action-y the, shootout scenes. Yeah. I mean, Tarantino turned out to be a lot easier because he doesn't do a lot of high action. It's always often just one shot uh, or like a few shots and then the, the se- sequence is over. Kill Bill being an obvious exception here and his later works with the Nazis in Inglorious Bastards. A little, little different with the amount of shooting. But uh, but for the most part, he, he wasn't so bad. Whereas action movies, it's like, yeah, we have to have chases and stuff like that. And doing it in such a way that's not cheesy because it's, it, it's very easy to do a cheesy chase sequence on stage. 
but it's not going to be enjoyable for the audience. Yeah, like it's 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 really easy to bring two little toy cars out and have them drive around on stage and be like, look, it's our funny action sequence. Uh, but to try not to make fun of action movies, and this is something Paper Street is is always aiming to do, not make fun of it, but really try to recreate it or give you the sense of it. So what we want to make sure you get when you're watching those action sequences is that the audience is feeling the excitement of watching an action sequence uh, and getting excited and like, oh, and scared and concerned and trying to recreate that improvised on stage. is going to be very difficult. Yeah. And I, I think part of the thing that's going to make it maybe somewhat easier is the the nature of like talking again about the radio and the phone sort of stuff, having scenes where Gruber's sitting there listening to what happens. So the action isn't happening in front of you, but we're hearing the action happen through the radio. That is one way to kind of cheat it almost. But, like. Well, but I mean, and there's an extent to which that sort of thing does happen, right? Because it, and it, and it does raise the tension and also makes the hero look even more badass if, oh man, John McClane's about to get into a terrible situation. How, how does he get out of it? We don't even see it. We just hear it. Yeah, we hear, ow, ow, oh yeah. <laughs> And then he walks on stage all bloody. Yeah, and and so I think part of that is is available to to us as improvisers, but part of it too is finding a way to actually show it because there is going to need to be some of it. Mm -hmm. But I think part of this gets to as well an action sequence isn't there just for the sake of action. So if you know what the scene is trying to do, if you know that your focus in a scene is to develop the character in some sort of way. If that's the focus and the action happens around it more loosely, you don't need to stress as much about, oh, well, if he's hiding behind a desk and we're hearing gunfire, we can piece together what's going on as long as you know yeah. something happens to the character in that scene. And like this is why I think, uh, to me especially, uh, why Christmas action movie is a much better style to improvise than just straight up action movie. Because uh, straight up action movie requires the action sequences to be front and foremost, most important part of the of the genre. Whereas Christmas action movie kind of splits it between Christmas and action. So you have these family moments as well, which are just as important as the action moments. And this sort of whole like uh, and, and that idea of the lonely hero who's isolated uh, gives you a lot more chance to play with. Without with not having the huge action sequences be there all the time, like Die Hard, there's what like two main big action sequences, like the on the roof where he's like shooting at the helicopter and stuff, and the scene where he's having the shootout with the broken glass, and the rest is kind of like one on one fights. Yeah, and those are much more doable in an improvised way, like a one on one combat between two people with some stage combat training and stuff, and being and making sure we're all safe. Uh, whereas the big action sequences like car chases and shootouts and stuff like that, much harder. Yeah, and I think in the con confines of this show, what what you guys will be doing is maybe having one of those, you know, one big action sequence in the entire show and then everything else being a smaller action sequence. Because you're, I mean, for one, you're limited in time, but for two, it doesn't happen as often as you think it is. Lethal Weapon is not a constant stream of action. No, no, there's very, there's, there's a, the action sequence at the end and it's mostly rigs just running into a room and breaking people's necks. Yeah. And, and so, so you do, you do get away with, I think, showing a lot of the smaller stuff and sometimes that'll involve, you know, the, the hero disguising himself as one of the henchmen so that he can get the drop on one of them. And sometimes it'll involve 
Hans Gruber pretending to be from East Texas and getting the drop on John McClane. So there, there is smaller little action sequences, but I don't think it's going to be as big of a problem. It still means you have to figure out how to do an action sequence, certainly, but not as it's not as worrying as if you were doing a straight action movie. Agreed. And I think that's uh, and that's is part of why I wanted to do a Christmas action movie, especially <clears throat> not just for the lovely juxtaposition and and uh, uh, and a more fun show to do in the Christmas season, uh, but also because I think it's more uh, it leans more towards something that can be staged, and we get to have a Christmas tree on stage again. Yes, man, that thing was such a pain. Yeah, but it smelled great. It did. It smelled <laughs> beautiful. Well, I think I think we did pretty good. I think we can wrap it up here. I'm I'm feeling like we've we've talked Christmas action movies uh well. How do you feel? Yeah, I, I feel good about it. And again, I going into it, I I'd expected, oh, we're just gonna talk about Lethal Weapon and Die Hard. And there is a lot here that we were able to go through. Yeah. So any closing thoughts on Christmas action movies? Well, I I miss the genre. That was that was my big thing in, in sitting there in and watching these movies is that they really are a fun Christmas movie and they they allow you to take a twist on the holidays without having the the same sort of Christmas morality tale that we get every year out of the same Christmas movies but it it still ties us to Christmas and still ties us to the holiday season unlike watching The Hobbit every Christmas season we we get to see this experience of family and this experience of you know, loneliness in the season. And I missed that. I missed that in, yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah, I agree. I, I also would add that I, I like the fact that it's an action movie that you can go and watch. That's just a fun shoot 'em up, uh, entertaining time, you know, where you don't have to think too much. You just turn your brain off and enjoy this action movie. Uh, but at the same time has an ending that really hits, uh, hits in the heart and hit brings it close to home. So unlike just watching, uh, like a Fast and Furious movie that's just like people driving cars and lots of butts. Uh, it has that, but it also has like this this heart uh, home hitting feel that comes with the holidays and comes with Christmas. Yeah, yeah, and I think that points to exactly the sort of problem with watching the second part of a trilogy during Christmas in as as your holiday movie. You know, we don't we don't get that heart and that ending and that that sort of final feeling. Yeah. Yeah. You want a movie that that you laugh and and cheer and get excited during. But then at the end, you lean over to your loved ones and you say, hey, I love you. Merry Christmas. You know, like you want that kind of movie at Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, all right. Um, Good talking to you as always, Stephen. Yeah. Good talking to you. And with the holiday season coming up, we wish everyone a happy holidays. A Merry Christmas action movie. (laughs) See you next week, Dave. I love you. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.